You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning. My name is uh, Andrew Wan, and um, I bring greetings uh, from um, our church at um, Cross Culture. Let me just, um, just bear with me a minute. Oh, it's a joy and a privilege to, to come and um, share with the saints at Pasco Vale. And this is part of uh, our ongoing series in Ephesians. And today we are doing um, the title, the theme called um, Grace um, is Being Experienced. First, a little bit of background on this um, city of Ephesus, where Paul addressed the Christians. Ephesus is located in one of the major road and sea routes in the Roman Empire, which is today uh, part of modern Turkey. It was the center for political, economic, and religious activity. It was famous for the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The main attraction in the city was the worship of the Greek goddess known as Artemis or Diana to the Romans. Here we see a statue of this goddess Artemis or Diana. The idol has many breasts showing people worship it to give them prosperity, success and protection from evil and fertility. And there was a booming trade in the sales of idols and statues of this goddess. You know, I grew up in a Buddhist family, Buddhist Taoist family, and my mother was a very staunch believer. As a boy growing up in Malaysia, I remember my mother giving me a small amulet with a Buddha on it to wear around my neck. And she told me that this would keep me safe and would give me good success in my studies. I didn't think too much about it until I lost it. I remember the sense of anxiety and fear that might come to me without the Buddha's protection. Well, I wasn't a very good student in school, but I always wondered whether it's because I did not have the Buddha's blessing. That was before I became a Christian. So in a way, that was what the Ephesians saw in their goddess. Something that could give success, blessings and protection from evil. When Paul arrived in Ephesus and preached the gospel, the word of the Lord convicted many. And many Jews and Gentiles were saved. Many burned their magic books. They abandoned the worship of Artemis, the temple business was declining. The idol makers, the silversmiths in those days saw their livelihood being threatened. And what did they do? They started a riot and Paul had to flee Ephesus. We read this in Acts uh, chapter 19. Now many years later, Paul writes to them from a Roman prison. But first, Let me pray. Let's pray and commit 
this morning to the Lord. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for the many wonderful and unimaginable blessings you have given us. This morning, we pray for your Holy Spirit's wisdom and understanding so that we may faithfully live it out in our lives. Amen. Well, last week, in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, we see how Paul uh, started with praise to God for the blessings, and we saw the list of his blessings in that uh, first part of chapter 1. Today, we'll cover the rest of chapter 1. It's about Paul's prayer from verses 15 to 13. Now, it's a long sentence, if you don't uh, uh, know. It's actually a long sentence from verse 15, without pauses, until chapter 2, verse 10. Paul is just pouring out his heart out. And in chapter 2, verse 10, he takes a breath. And today, we'll cover three points from Paul's prayer. Paul prays for spiritual help. He prays for spiritual knowledge, and he prays for spiritual power. But first, he gives thanksgiving to God. For this reason, he says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Verse 15, Paul reminds us that he was very thankful for the Ephesians. Now, he has not met many of them, uh, but he tells them the reason he's thankful is because he have heard of their faith. Now, remember, Paul is writing this from prison. In prison, he still hears of their faith, their love for the saints. It's a wonderful way to start a prayer. He praises God, he thanks God now, and the efficient Christians' faith have grown steadily over the years as they abandon the worship of idols. And they have this real unconditional love towards other fellow Christians. Even in prison then, Paul hears of their faith. Firstly, Paul prays for spiritual help. He says that, he asked the Lord Jesus to give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice that the word spirit has a capital S in your ESV version of the Bible. It means the Holy Spirit. Here, Paul prays for the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the efficient believers. Wisdom and revelation. Wisdom refers to the ability to take the profound theological truths about God and apply them to your everyday situation of life. It's just not head knowledge, but it is heart and head knowledge to know how and when to apply them correctly. Revelation and insight is the ability to grasp the meaning of God's truth so that we can comprehend His will and His purpose in our life. So we need both wisdom and revelation to be able to take God's word and apply it correctly. 
In verse 17, Paul says, it is like having the eyes of your heart being enlightened. Of course, we know our hearts don't have eyes. Okay? Here, he's saying the opening of the eyes of your heart is a figurative way of saying uh, they will see the increase in their knowledge and understanding through the wisdom and revelation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is their helper. We need a spiritual helper. You know, I think of it this way. Suppose you have been given the most beautiful, most exquisite gift, a jewellery box from God. The outward appearance and its design is so intricate and so finely detailed that we marvel at the outside trimmings. We are so fascinated with the gift box that we forgot to open the box and see what is inside. We look in amazement at the elaborate externals, but we forget about opening the gift. And by the way, you're looking at the most expensive jewelry box in the world. It cost three and a half million dollars. The outside is trimmings of gold and silver. It's got diamonds, it's got pearls, it's got rubies, and the lot. Yes, it's easy to be just happy knowing what we have, but we forget what is the real gift. Paul is saying, yes, it's good to know all those blessings that God has given us. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. You need to open the box and discover what is the real gift. So secondly, he prays. You need to know. He prays for spiritual knowledge. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So the first, there are two areas in spiritual knowledge. One is God's calling. And the second one is to know God's riches. So let's have a look at the first area, God's calling. God, uh, sorry, um, Paul prays, uh, Paul prays uh, that they need to understand what their calling is they were called out of darkness into his light. This hope is being lived out in the lives of believers. And they are a living testimony of this hope that they have in their lives. I remember the time when my father was ill and dying of cancer. I was there by his side. But I could never forget my father. At this time, frail and weak, emaciated, just skin and bones. He was 56 years, still very young, in the last stages of his life. As he lay on the bed, he looked towards uh, heaven and seeing his last days on earth, his face was serene. He still had the smile and confidence of what is to come. And as, as I read to him from Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He restores my soul. My father became a Christian quite late in life, 
So did my mother. As my dad listened to God's word, I could see his face. There was a peace and a calmness that came over him as he breathed his last. For many, that would be the end. But for my father, he believed in Jesus and he believed that there is a future hope in Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not, we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall all be changed. And this is God's call when he saved us. He gives us hope in this life and in the life to come. And I rejoice that one day I will see my father and my mother again in heaven. Although I'm not sure if I will recognize them because they will have glorious bodies. Someone said, our Christian hope sees the invisible, feels the intangible, and achieves the impossible. Our Christian hope sees the invisible, feels the intangible, and achieves the impossible. When God calls and gives us hope, that continues to eternity. The Lord is invisible, intangible, and He is the God of the impossible. Second area to know is God's riches. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? Do you know, it is interesting to note what happens when we talk uh, of a rich inheritance to someone. You say, hey, hey, John. Oh, hey, uh, Mary, listen, I have a rich inheritance for you. You see their, light, their eyes immediately lights up. <laughs> especially if it's an inheritance that concerns them, and especially when it is rich. We often think of God's inheritance in this way. Oh, we have all these great... Uh, blessings, all this great uh, inheritance, just like our earthly inheritance that we, we get if uh, someone uh, passes away. But is this what Paul is talking about? God's riches? What Paul is saying when you look at that verse, looking at us, the phrase is glorious inheritance in the saints. It means that the glorious inheritance is found where? In the saints. And that means that the inheritance is the redeemed, the saved saints of God. In other words, Christians like you and me. Can you imagine that? God counts us as his inheritance. We are that inheritance. Think about this, what God is trying to say. God counts us as his inheritance. And that is why when you look at verses 13 and 14 of this same chapter, 
He says, look, you can see that God's Spirit is a seal for us. It is also a down payment. It is also a deposit. He is a deposit uh, for us. What does that mean? If you own a house, you know what it means, right? You have to pay a down payment for something that's going to come in future. That is why God says He has given us a down payment. In verse 14, He lays the down payment for us. But the full payment is to come. The fullness of it is going to come later when we see Christ. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Amazing revelation. And this is spiritual knowledge from God. Not only are we counted as His inheritance, but we are also adopted into His kingdom as sons. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, describes it in this way. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. Can you see how the hope and the inheritance is combined together in this verse from Peter? And will you pray that our hearts will be open to the certainty of this hope and the glory of God's inheritance? as his children. So friends, let us continue to live in this blessed hope and rejoice that we are God's inheritance. Thirdly, Paul prays for spiritual power. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. And God's power, sorry, God's power is seen uh, in Christ's resurrection when he raised him from the dead. And Christ's resurrection is a victory uh, of Christ over sin, over Satan and death. The powers of hell and death could not hold him. And by the power of God, he rose and was given this glorified body. But after his resurrection, in verse 20, we see Christ exalted. He is seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. This means that Jesus was restored to his glorious position as the Son of God. And in this position, God made him supreme over all. Supreme over all. Far above everything else. But you know, there's more. Not only this, this is not the end. The next one is even more amazing. This is it. And he has put all things under his and given him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what Paul is saying is this, when you see spiritual power of God demonstrated in Christ, 
It is just unthinkable that people should worship worthless, powerless idols like Artemis or anyone or anything. Every ruler, every authority, every uh, power and dominion bows to Christ. Do you realize that? There's really no comparison. As believers in Christ, we are now part of his body, and Christ is the head. And that's why the, the, the power of this, this is reinforced. This, this power of God is reinforced in the book of Ephesians. You're going to have more of it as we uh, delve into the book. And if Christ is the resurrected, exalted, and supreme Lord, guess what? We are given the same power in our lives as members of his body. That makes sense. So you see what Paul is saying. So when you look at that, you know, his power is being uh, demonstrated in Christ that is available for us. You know, we are very much influenced by Hollywood. Movies like Superman and Batman and Spider-Man have really influenced our attitudes towards power. To many, the power of God is like the superhuman uh, strength, uh, superhuman, able to do superhuman feats, able to fight and defeat your enemies, you know, with a, you know, with a flick of your hand. But I can't help feeling that this is what we think about when we think about the power of God. What is this that Paul talks about or prays about? The spiritual power that Paul prays for. And we get a different picture when we see the life of Jesus. We should remember that Jesus went through the pain, the sorrow, the suffering, the abandonment, both physical and spiritual, before he was exalted. There was the cross before the crown. Charles Spurgeon was perhaps the greatest preacher of the 19th century in England. He was called the Prince of Preachers. He preached 3,600 sermons. I only preach maybe a few. Uh, that's a fraction of that. can't even imagine how he could preach so many sermons. And, and wrote many Bible commentaries. He would preach to thousands without a microphone. But on one occasion, as he was testing the sound system in a hall, he was saying in a loud and affirmative voice, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And a workman working nearby on hearing these words was so struck by them that he cannot stop hearing these words in his head day and night, over and over again, until he repented and came to God. This is the power of God in Spurgeon's ministry. 
But not many people realised that Spurgeon actually suffered severe bouts of sickness and depression. He lived for 57 years, but one third of his life, he was in bed, sick or trying to recover from depression. Despite this, it, it wasn't a hindrance to his ministry. He writes this, I find myself frequently depressed, perhaps more so than any other person here. And I find no better cure for that depression than to trust in the Lord with all my heart, to seek to realize afresh the power of the peace speaking blood of Jesus and his infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all my transgressions. Trusting in the Lord, realizing the power of Jesus, knowing the infinite love of God helped Spurgeon. And we also recall the Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh. He was given this. We don't know what it was. The, the Bible doesn't tell us. It could be an affliction or a handicap. And he asked God three times to take it away. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul, realizing this, he says this, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Just like Jesus, just like Apostle Paul, Spurgeon himself learned to depend on the power and grace of God during his troubles and his depression. The spiritual power of God is shown when we are weak. It is the greatest when we are weakest. Just like the jewelry box, when we open the gift box that God gives us, we will discover the most precious and most beautiful diamond that sparkles and shines like the brilliance of the sun. Christ is that diamond that we have in our lives. We are his body, the church. And our purpose is to allow his fullness to shine through the darkness, to bring light to a dark world. Do you know, a diamond is basically carbon or charcoal. What makes a charcoal into a diamond? It is put under tremendous pressure and tremendous heat in the depths of the earth. That's where you get diamonds that shines the brightest. The brightness of Christ will shine brightest when we are faced with the difficulties in our lives. The grief and the loss, 
that we suffer. The despair, loneliness we face, the loss of self-esteem, depression, and in these deepest and darkest moments, the power of God shines the brightest in our lives. And as we reflect on God's word this morning, how do we experience God's grace in our lives? First, don't neglect your prayer life. We need to pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to grant us wisdom and revelation so that our hearts may be enlightened. We need spiritual help. Secondly, pray for spiritual knowledge that we might not be influenced by the attractions and the desires of this world, but by the hope that Christ can give us and the inheritance that we have. In God. In God's eyes, God says this we are chosen and precious. We are a chosen race, a royal peace priesthood, a holy nation, and we need to live lives that glorify and honor God. And thirdly, we need to pray for spiritual power in our lives. The power of God will shine brightest when we are weakest. Christ went through the cross before he got the crown. And we are expected to follow Christ's example. But through it, we will see God's power at work to overcome all obstacles. Just like the Apostle Paul, may we learn to pray with spiritual wisdom, understanding and power in our lives. Let us pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, our hearts and minds cannot comprehend the amazing greatness of your grace to us. We are so undeserving and yet you have given us so much treasures. And we continue to pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in our lives. The deepening of our knowledge of your calling and your inheritance. Help us to live victoriously by your great power. Amen.